Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome today to the Carter Report. In Los Angeles, there are about 100,000 plus gang members. There are places where you and I can't go, but my guest goes there. His name is Pastor Willie Garcia. Welcome today to the Carter Report. God has his time and his place for everything. And the time and the place now is Latin America, including Cuba. Time Magazine talks about the Second Protestant Reformation and describes how hundreds of thousands, even millions of Latinos are coming to the gospel of Christ. I'm not an armchair theologian. I'm speaking according to experience. I've seen it with my own eyes. Recently, we went down to El Salvador. There I spoke in the largest football stadium in Central America with the biggest crowd that that football stadium had ever, ever seen. They came not to see a football match, but to hear about the blood of Christ. Millions are coming to a knowledge of God in Latin America. Doors are opening in Cuba. Who knows? We may be going to Cuba soon. As the doors open, by the grace of God, we are going to step through those doors. And we want you to step through those doors with us and be part of our team for such a time as this. Please write to me, friend. Don't put it off. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal, New South Wales. Be part of the Second Reformation. Join us and see the miracles of God. Amen. Welcome back to the Carter Report. My special guest today is a great man of God, Pastor Willie Garcia, who is a pastor to the gangs of Los Angeles. Pastor Garcia, welcome today. Thank you, Dr. Carter. It's a joy to be here with you. It's always a privilege for us to have you uh, come with us on our overseas campaigns, come to our church to sing. Uh, you bless us wherever you go, and we look upon you as one of God's great saints. You were with us in Port Moresby, mm -hmm. one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Remember Port Moresby? I certainly do. Some say Port Moresby is the most dangerous city in the world. Do you remember, cast your mind back, one night we had a crowd of about 140,000 people, and you saw something flying over the audience. You were singing. <laughs> Tell us about it. Uh, the whole campaign had been exciting. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life. I've seen films and I've heard people talk about crowds such as this, but never stood in the midst of it. And uh, throughout the course of the time that we were there, it was just wonderful. I was singing uh, just before you came out to speak. Yeah, I was listening to you. 
and I was singing the song, uh, Blessed Be the Lord God Almighty. Yeah, yeah. And I had my eyes closed, and the song transitioned from English to Spanish. Mm. And as soon as I, I started uh, singing in Spanish, I heard this roar from the audience. And I thought to myself, my God, they're enjoying the Spanish lyric. Mm. <laughs> and when I opened my eyes to look, this white dove was coming right at me. Amazing. And then just flew over my head. Hmm. And it was that that the crowd was applauding. It seemed to be as if God was telling us, do not fear, I'm in the midst. And I, I think it happened twice while we were there. Yes. Uh, one time I actually saw it yes. circling the audience, flying over the, the complete audience. You did? Yes, and then just just take off. And I think that was the first time. I don't think a lot of the people were aware of it at that point. No, somebody, a pastor came to me after the first time, and he said, uh, uh, my church members want to talk to you. I said, yes. They declare that they saw a white dove. <laughs> now, I didn't see the dove. It was, uh, you know, the meetings at that stage mm -hmm. were in the dark. Right. We were showing pictures. And all these people, they said they saw a white dove. But there was the night when you saw the dove when we had this vast crowd, some say we had 150 plus thousand oh, people. I, I don't doubt it. But I discovered only the other day, somebody wrote to me, a man in Australia by the name of Phil Ward, and somebody had contacted him. Mm -hmm. Now, Phil Ward is a journalist. Yes. The white dove was also seen at the on the Saturday morning at the baptism, out at Alla Beach. Yes. Now, I never saw the white dove there. I did But they said either. tens of thousands saw the white dove dove coming over the sea. Amen. But on the last night, when the white dove came, it seemed to come with power, and the audience became filled with the Spirit of God. Yes, yes, yes. It was the most exciting thing I had ever witnessed no, I, in know, my life. I've never mm. experienced anything like that, not a manifestation of God's presence and power like that. What impressed you most, uh, Pastor Garcia, about the meetings in Papua New Guinea? I think the hunger that I experienced or was able to see in the faces of people, and by that I mean the spiritual hunger that they seem to have. These people walked for miles yes. to come to the Pacific mm. uh, uh, Arena, the stadium, yes. and uh, they were the most orderly, polite people I have ever seen or met in my life. I was actually able to walk amongst them in yes. that crowd and not get, you know, pawed all over. No, my wife or, Beverly walked out there too. They were just so amazingly gracious and their faith, I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God honored their faith mm. night after night as they journeyed from from miles around, from the highlands, uh, from, from whatever mm. villages they might have come from. Uh, I've seen uh, photographs of people hanging off a of truss in yes. big numbers, yes. and we actually witnessed that on our way back to the hotel after <laughs> after the campaign. I mean, the streets were full of people. Yes, walking thousands, for miles, tens we, of thousands of people. Our our hotel, I think, was eight miles or or so, eleven miles away from the stadium, and we could see people walking all the way uh, along our route and beyond. I was told something just the other day, which will interest you. They say that down the road, there were other stadiums, outdoor stadiums, 
and people were filling those stadiums. Really? Now, they couldn't see the screens, but they, but they could hear the preaching. That's right. And they say, we have no idea how many tens of thousands were standing you know, miles away, listening to the preaching Amen. of the word. Well, I saw the technicians and 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 your team setting up screens and extra uh, yes, uh, PA on speakers on yes. the side to accommodate that. And uh, they mentioned that beyond the stage, at the opposite end of the stage, there was another small soccer field or something yes. that was full of people. Yes, the parking lots mm. uh, surrounding the stadium and the streets and the streets <laughs> were just full of people. And I just marvel at uh, God's unconditional love and, and his willingness to do whatever is necessary to use people like us to reach these souls. Uh, your singing has a way of touching people's hearts. Mm. I've seldom, if ever, seen anybody who has the rapport with an audience that you have, mm. Pastor Garcia. Uh, when you sing, the people respond to you. And I can remember you came up one night on the stage when I was making an altar call. Remember that? Yes. And I got you to come up and you talked to the people and the Spirit of God was there and people were coming forward and giving their lives to Christ. This was in what they say is the most dangerous city in the world. I've got to tell you this. I haven't had opportunity to tell you this. A journalist from Australia contacted me recently and he told me, did you know, he said, thousands of gang members came to the meetings and they sat way up the back so you couldn't mm -hmm, see them, mm -hmm. but they were sitting in their own groups <laughs> and they weren't mingling <laughs> because they'd been at each other's throats, killing each sure. other. But in the meetings, you had a spirit of peace and tranquility. Absolutely. Now, Beverly, a lady, walking out there among the people, the multitudes, no reason to be afraid. No. No gang activity. You know, the greatest antidote to gang activity is what you do, mm. the preaching of the gospel. Yes. Now, you came with us to Johannesburg. Yes, I did. Yeah, tell <laughs> us about that. Oh, I, I just loved it. I really uh, uh, was impressed by, and it was uh, uh, just the unique manner in which you uh, capture the audience uh, the way the Lord uses you uh, with your your background on history and archaeology, and so it was a different a different type of audience. And completely different, isn't it? Yes. And, yeah. and and then the way you begin to align it with the scriptures and how responsive the people are. One because their interest in history and archaeology. I don't know very many people. Uh, people wonder why we do it, Willie, and the reason we do it. I was brought up in a secular country. Mm -hmm. I wasn't brought up with people saying, hallelujah, praise the mm -hmm. Lord. Mm -hmm. Australia is a secular country. And so we devised a means of reaching secular people with biblical archaeology mm -hmm. and astronomy and then leading them to the Bible and then leading them to Christ. The facts cannot be disputed. And the way uh, you presented the gospel uh, through that means, was just, it was overwhelming. Did you enjoy Johannesburg? Absolutely. The people there were just so, so kind to us. And you had a fan club there. Oh, you know. <laughs> Don't I, you remember? I, 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 yeah. I do remember that. And for that, I thank God for, for today's media. You know, the people that were able to Google me. Uh, <laughs> what was your group called? I know. The Midnighters. The Midnighters. Yes. A famous group around the world. And when Pastor Willie G., or 
Little Willie, as they used to call him, <laughs> many years ago. When he went to South Africa, the people knew him because this man was famous around the world. It was, it was amazing to, to uh, be welcomed in such a manner. And then for me to be able to impart to them that uh, I wasn't that guy anymore. No. That something miraculously had happened yeah, to me. Uh, he touched you. Yes, he yeah, did. Jesus touched he you. He did. But as you sang to the people in that desperately needy place, Johannesburg, the most dangerous city in Africa, mm. you could see people responding to the music and responding to the preaching yes. of the Word of God. So I just want to say to you, Pastor Garcia, you've touched my life. Praise the Lord. You've blessed my team. We would go with you anywhere. Oh, praise God. We would ask you to come with us anywhere. We are hoping to go to Cuba. Amen. We would love you if the doors open up for you to come with us to Cuba. I think they'd know you in Cuba. Gloria a Dios, yes, yes. And we'll be back. Don't go away after this break. I'm John Carter. Welcome back to The Carter Report. And my special guest today is Pastor Willie Garcia, formerly of the... Midnighters. The Midnighters. <laughs> they were once quite a group, weren't they? Yes, they were. Tell me a bit about the Midnighters. Well, uh, it's a group that I started with in high school uh, back in 1960. In Los Angeles? In Los Angeles, uh -huh. East Los Angeles. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. That's a rough area, isn't it's it? A, it's a, a rough area. It was a rough area growing up yes. as well. A very uh, a notorious gang called 38th Street. Mm -hmm. uh, movies and, and Broadway musicals have been written about the 38th Street gang. Tell me about the Midnighters. The Midnighters is a group of individuals that I met 
when I started going to high school. Some of them were in the music program, and uh, some of the others were just working uh, class kids there in East L.A., and uh, I, I joined up with them. We weren't the Midnighters in the beginning. The first uh, name that we had for the band was the Gentiles. The Gentiles. <laughs> and, and the Gentiles. The Gentiles. We didn't even know what it meant. No. But we had a drummer. His name was Jerry Ainsworth. And his father was a Russian Orthodox Jew. Mm. And he was actually a rabbi. And uh, Jerry's dad would yell at us every Wednesday. Not so much at us, but he was yelling at Jerry. What are you doing with those Gentiles? Oh. They're unclean. So... You would call the Gentiles. So we, as a dig yeah. to his dad, we, we called ourselves, we called the band the Gentiles. So he had to see that as he walked around Boyle Heights uh, uh, on a daily basis because we used to play a lot of the Carpenters Hall, the Paramount Ballroom. Uh, uh, he would see our name on the posters. The but then Gentiles. you became the Midnighters. We became the Midnighters because the Gentiles wasn't as glamorous as some of the other bands, the names of the bands. Now, had. the Midnighters became quite famous. We did. We did. We had our first hit record uh, in 1964. Mm. Uh, I just graduated from high school. I had just turned 18 years old. Mm. And uh, we recorded a song called Land of a Thousand Dances at a, at a live rock and roll show at East L.A. College. Mm. And so this was a big thing for a young man, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It, I never dreamed that, uh, that success would find me at such a young age or that I would ever experience the 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 dimension of success. But that the Midnighters became one of the most popular, one of the most famous groups in the United States of America. Yes, we did. And you were called Little Willie. Little Willie G. Yeah. <laughs> now tell me, how did you come from the Midnighters uh, to become what you are, a Christian? Well, uh, I would say all the basics were there growing up. I grew up in a in a godly home. My parents loved God. Praying mom. Well, you were blessed. I was blessed. I, I, I knew a lot of kids who didn't have both parents or were raised by their grandparents. And so I was blessed growing up. You know, uh, a good work ethic. We went to church. Uh, grew up traditionally uh, in Catholicism. Mm. Uh, so Spanish uh, background, of course. Spanish background, it yeah. was there. But we we uh, we learned a healthy respect for people, for property, and for God, and for God, and I, the church, and the church, and and I believe we possessed a lot of the characteristics of a Christian. Absolutely, you did. But we did not have Christ, and uh, so throughout the course of my 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 young life, I always thought, you know, because my parents said uh, uh, we went through the rituals of of the church. Uh, I thought I, I was a shoe into heaven. Of course. You know? Saved and, by works. Yeah. yeah. That's, and Who needs grace? But <laughs> over the course of the years, after traveling the world with the, with the band uh, and uh, experiencing success, I had everything that, that a young man could ever want. I had reputation. I had money. I had possessions. And you had fame. I had fame. But there was something missing in my life. And I, I believe with all my heart, Dr. Carter, that when God created us, he created us intentionally to be miserable without him. Did you know, you as a Catholic, you know of St. Augustine. Yes. Augustine. Yes. He made a tremendous statement. He said, our souls were made for God. Yes. And they cannot rest until they rest in him. Yes. <laughs> Is that, can you comment on oh, that? Oh, yes, absolutely. That was it. I was restless. 
I knew that there was something missing in my life and I tried to fill it. My first addiction was success. It wasn't alcohol, it wasn't immorality, it wasn't drugs. My first addiction was success. So you're telling me that you can have fame, you can have lots of money, you can have lots of popularity, but you're not going to have peace if you don't have Christ. That's right, until you rest in him and with him. And I was restless. I tried filling that place in my heart that rightfully belongs to God with success, with drugs, with alcohol, with, with immorality, with possessions. Uh, Paul says, we're always learning, but we're never able to come to the knowledge of the mm. truth. And that was me. So here you are. You're very successful with the Benditis. You've got plenty of money. You've got fame. You've got fortune. You've got cars. You've got what the human heart desires. Mm -hmm but you don't have peace. I don't have peace. How do you find Christ? Or how does Christ come to you, a young man in Los Angeles? My dad was a student of, of, of Proverbs, of the book of Proverbs. He was? Yes. And uh, we just thought dad was witty, you know? He, he, but you discovered he, later it wasn't original. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my dad was always, you know, giving us these witticisms, mm. right? Mm. And so we said, wow, that's cool, you know? And in the hopes that we would apply it to our lives. Yes. When I had my first hit record, my dad spotted something in me. Uh, shortly after, I guess, you, you know, success will change you. Yes. It will change you. It, it'll change the people that, that uh, hang around with you yes. as well. And my dad, he told me something one day. He said, Proverbs 16, 3. And that's all he said. Usually he would quote the scripture. It took me... 21 years to go look that scripture up. What's it say? It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and all your plans will succeed. My dad spotted that I was a, becoming addicted to success. Yes. And he knew that the kind of success I was experiencing would never fill It doesn't the last, longing. and it doesn't fill the void in the soul. It doesn't last, no. So, but tell me, how did you find Christ? How did your life turn around? After, because now... You are a minister of the gospel, Amen. ministering to the gangs of Los Angeles. By the grace of God, uh, I had moved back to Los Angeles after living in San Francisco several years. I loved San Francisco because if, if you enjoy sin, San Francisco was the place, to, the live place to go in the 60s and the, the early 70s. And right now, too. And Yeah. And, and uh, my dad called me one day. He said, when are you coming home? And I said, well, I'll be down to visit you and mom, you know, shortly. He says, no, no. I, not for a visit. I need you to come home. And I said, well, are you all right? I got concerned that maybe they were ill. And he says, no, I'm going to retire. And I need you to come and watch the house. Don't have to live in it. Just find someone decent enough to take it over, rent it to them, and then you can go back about your life. And I moved back down to Los Angeles to, you know, uh, fulfill my parents' expectation. When I came back to Los Angeles, I started doing things that I said I would never do. I mean, I was already experimenting, doing uh, hallucinogenics and mm. smoking weed and, yeah. and a lot of cocaine. There was a lot of cocaine in our life at that point of my, my career. But I started doing heroin. I came back to LA. That's one of the worst, isn't it? One of the worst. Yeah. And, and I, I, started do, I, I started doing that. I started doing something I said I would never do because Coming back to L.A., some, a place that I had worked so hard to get out of, <laughs> I, I, I went through a, a period of depression. And so for four years, 
I not only did heroin, I not only shot heroin, but I became I became a import exporter of heroin. I would go down to Mexico and we would smuggle drugs into the country and I became a, dist a distributor of heroin. And it was uh, during this, this time in my life that uh, my marriage was going uh, nowhere. My wife, by the, the grace of God and her love for me, she stayed with me. We had two young daughters and I began to look at my life. The devil just had me in his grips. My wife had a great job working for Capitol Records. She used to work for Kenny Rogers. And uh, she had a great, great job. But I wasn't doing very much except living off of my reputation as Little Willie G, the lead singer of the Midnighters. I took her to work one morning. I came home. And I couldn't get in the house. I opened the door. But there was like an invisible barrier preventing me from walking into my home. And... I looked around and all I could see was the things that you gather over the years that say you're important, that you've accomplished something. Stuff. All the awards and stuff yeah, that you yeah. put on the walls to remind mm. yourself that you're great, you know? Mm. And uh, I heard this voice in my head as if I had on headphones. It says, see, Willie, you've had it all. Everything you've desired to do, everything you set out to do, you've accomplished. The only thing left for you to experience is death. I didn't Ugh. know it was the devil. Ugh. But, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, you dance with the devil, you're going to get stepped on. Yeah, you are. And as soon as, as soon as those words uh, uh, were, were repeated in my mind, I was released and I walked in the house. And without thinking, I just went over to where I kept my stash. My stash is my drugs. Yeah. And so I, I gathered them and I went to the family room and I sat it on a tray and I sat there trying to get the courage to cook up four grams of heroin and inject it into my body and end my life. Goodness. And as I sat there, doctor, I began to discover that I really didn't want to die. Mm. Nobody wants to die. No. And I started thinking there must have been something in my life that I did good, that, that I did well, all the telethons for Jerry Lewis and, and the March of Dimes. And uh, there must have been something that I had done in my life that was worthwhile and good that, that I can at least go on living by and I the devil just had me in his grips but during that darkest moment of my life the telephone rang and I answered that phone reluctantly I, I didn't want to answer it because it was distracting me from what I was trying to do and the other end of the line was a young man named Tony Garcia no relation but he's someone I went to school with no relation no relation mm. uh, family wise mm. but I went to school with him I played in bands with him I always knew there was something different about Tony. I just never knew what it was. Well, that day on the telephone, he was excited that he found me home. And uh, to make a, a short story longer, <laughs> uh, he invited me to hear a band that he was playing in and uh, that they were recording television programs that were being aired in Mexico, Central, and South America. And opportunist that I was, I agreed to go. And uh, I ended up at another uh, a local television station called T KTBN, Channel 40. And it was there that I was exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to take a little pause, and we're going to be back in just a moment or two. And Pastor Garcia is going to tell you how he escaped the world of drugs and became a minister of the gospel so that now he preaches the gospel to the gangs of Los Angeles. 
Don't go away. We'll be back. Who was and is and is to come? Blessed be the Lord God Almighty who reigns forevermore, evermore. Hallelujah. Glory to God.